sports yet? One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. At Sifpot. We're your movie friends. And are friends really friends if you don't know them? So grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room. For more movie friends. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Welcome. 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 To the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer and soon-to-be father, Joe. Yay. Hey, everybody. Joe joining us again, which means it's comic book week. You know, that's how we uh, that's how we do, you know, every month. Except for last month because um, I didn't have a voice and you have to have a voice to podcast. So you gotta have a voice. <laughs> that, that is true. But uh, exciting times all around here and Sif Pop and uh, Sif Pop crew and all that. Um, so yeah, here we go. So make sure to shout out Joe, tell him uh, congratulations. Follow his Instagram, Star Spangled Star Spangled Avenger, and uh, you know, tell him congratulations in yeah, whenever the kid comes, yeah. So, um, not quite, not quite. Just a little bit longer. Any day now. Uh, but we write for SifPop.com, writing movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. On today's show, we'll talk about a coming attraction. Uh, two of them this week, as, as always. Um, Respect and Don't Breathe 2. The two ones we'll be talking about. And um, we'll give our thoughts on those. And then we'll move on to the Sif topic. We'll talk about comic book films. Uh, we're talking about Road to Perdition and History of Violence. These are kind of two maybe not thought of as comic book movies or definitely not superhero comic book movies. So that's kind of our theme for this week. And uh, then we'll explore the B-plot. Uh, when we're done talking about those, we'll answer uh, a question that I came up with related to this. And uh, we'll wrap up a spinoff quick recommend or warn for each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to know our writer a little bit more this week. Uh, Joe. I thought this might be a fun question. I've done this with Robert, but like, what is your preferred viewing method? Would you rather like own the movie or catch it on a streaming service? Or like, would you rather own it, but like digitally and like how, how important is like SD, HD, 4k, all that to you? Uh, I used to be a big physical media guy, but I have so much stuff. And after like collecting action figures and, you know, and whatnot, like anything that would eliminate me having to take up a ton of space, um, I'll, I'll do so. So more or less like purchasing, uh, downloadable content mm-hmm. usually on streaming um, if i if i really care for the movie i know i'm gonna watch it repeatedly i'll buy it digital for sure okay so you do you like uh so like typically you go for a streaming service but if it's not there like or you know you're gonna watch it a bunch just go ahead and buy it but still prefer like a digital right you know and i also like the um i like ultraviolet and stuff is uh is perfect too like you know you get the physical copy and then you get your digital download yeah, uh, I mean we have a we have a whole channel dedicated to uh, codes and like you know sharing codes. So, uh, yeah, I think that's really excellent. It's it's a really terrific idea. Best of both worlds. Yeah, I think there's a lot of advantages to both. I mean, it, this could be an endless conversation, but you know, I think there's there's the whole thing about like in the terms and conditions. Like technically, you don't ever own what you own on digital. Um, like they could just take it away for any reason, um, <laughs> like on iTunes or Vudu or whatever. So like that's kind of a bummer. And like they don't tell you you don't own it anymore. You just kind of don't. Um, and then the, uh, um, the I mean the other thing for me is like at least where I'm at, we don't have gigabit internet yet. So every single time, ten out of ten, a disc is going to look better than streaming. 
and uh, especially when it comes to UHD, and I definitely care about UHD. So, um, yeah, I for sure prefer a 4K physical if possible, but, you know, that's, for modern movies, that's kind of normal now, but not so much for older ones. I mean, you could definitely notice a difference, too. Like, I was watching Logan in 4K, and it was mm-hmm. gorgeous. Like, it looked, it looked great. Yeah, I think, actually, I've only seen that once on 4K, and I watched the noir version, and that was truly something special, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I thought that'd be a fun little quick conversation. And of course, as always, I have one more random question for you that, uh, Joe, are you a morning person or are you a night owl? Um, I think I'm burning the candle at both ends most of the time. Uh, <laughs> like sometimes like I'll wake up at five in the morning, go for a run, but then go to sleep at like 1245 and then do it all over again. But, uh, I kind of play it by ear. Uh, becoming a new dad is probably going to slowly change me into a permanent morning person. I'm going to have sure. to. So, um, nowadays I'd say I'm more of a morning person. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been a morning person. Uh, but I also don't know that I would have ever called myself a night owl probably until college. Like I would like you wake up and get to school, but I'd still be in bed by like midnight every night in high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then college came along and I realized nobody's here to tell me to go to bed so I can stay up and watch Breaking Bad until three in the morning if I want. And then I did, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I much prefer nights. Um, something about it, I don't know. Like the, I, I feel, I'm I'm more productive after my brain's been going for a while. So I don't feel like getting up at five so my brain can start working by six thirty. I'd rather just get up when I'm all good and ready, and you know, power through until my body's like, hey, probably about time to power down. It's like, all right, let's do that then. <laughs> so plus, like. I don't know, like nights when primetime TV is at and like, you know, who really watches TV live anymore, but like still like habits form or whatever. Not, not too many people nowadays right? <laughs> not with all the streaming services and options out there. Right. And like, I, I'm, you know, I think at least a good majority of people probably don't have like, even like the live TV options, like at this point, because why, <laughs> um, you know, so, but sports. So it's about it. It's about the only reason to keep it for me, but. Uh, yeah. So cool. Well, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've done that. So you ready to talk about some movies? Yeah, sure thing. Cool. So we're going to, I want to start off with don't breathe too. And I think it's just for the simple reason that this is a sequel. So, um, you know, I, I typically, when we talk about sequels, it's either one of two things. It's either, why did they make a sequel to this movie? Like it doesn't seem necessary, you know, something like a quiet place, right. Or, or it's, I like the first one. So sure. Or I really didn't like the first one. So I'm not interested. So that's kind of, that's kind of the spectrum there, I think. Uh, so I feel like we could have more to say about the other original property uh, coming out. So uh, don't breathe Two is coming out August 13th in theaters. So that'll be this Friday uh, theaters exclusively. Um, this is uh, written by feed Alvarez who did the, uh, um, the evil dead reboot. Um, and I think directed the first one, the first don't breathe. Uh, and written, yeah, he directed the first one too. Did he write the first one too? Uh, I know he directed it. I don't know if he wrote the first one. Okay. Yeah. And then this one is being directed and co-written, well, kind of co-written by, um, uh, Roto. Oh gosh. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Roto Sayagues, S-A-Y-A-G-U-E-S. I'm so sorry for butchering that, but, uh, you know, I should have looked at that earlier. Um, <laughs> Uh, looks like he was on. A, he was a producer on the first movie, so that's uh, so he has some connection to the first. It's not just somebody else. So um, yeah, and it looks like he's been kind of collaborating, helping write with Fidel Alvarez. So anyway, um, let's move on to the to the anticipation level. So uh, so we'll talk about uh, 
you know, this is going to be theatrical release, you know, um, we'll just assume it's, it's regular times. Things are all good in the world. Um, how soon do you think you'd be catching this? Uh, do you think you'd go see opening weekend, wait for a discount night, wait to rent it at home, wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for, or are you just not interested in seeing this movie? Um, for me, it's on the borderline of not interested and streaming. Um, okay. I didn't really care for the first film too much. Um, I thought the, the rules of the first film were kind of wishy-washy on like, what he could hear and like what he was capable of. Okay. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of likable characters, which is kind of defeats the purpose of having a horror movie and have somebody to kind of root for. Mm-hmm. And also, like the development at the end with his character, uh, it's kind of a spoiler. Um, I don't want to go too much into it because it's kind of gross. Um, it, it kind of diminishes the you know any type of likability for that character too. So I felt like I was just kind of like, I was like, cinematography wise, this looks great, and on paper I should like this movie, but there's just so many things working against it. I just can't really uh, vouch for it. Now the, the premise of the trailer looks really interesting. If I didn't have any knowledge of the first film, I think this would be a really effective film um, overall because I think the premise premise would work really well if this was the first film or the first introduction to this franchise. Yeah, and this is interesting because that's my experience. I, I never saw the first film because I just don't like horror movies. And so yeah. the only time I really watch them is if it's like, you know, and people cannot stop talking about how good something is or like I happen to be watching it with a group of people. Uh, like that's how I wound up watching Hush is I was just with a group of people. They were like, oh, I heard about this movie. I'm putting it out. It's like, fine, I guess, whatever. Um, so, but I don't know, like no, Don't Breathe 2016 I wasn't... Um, I really wasn't interested in horror still am not for the most part. Um, so, but I do remember this movie coming out and like surprisingly a lot of people talking about how good it was, but also again, me being me, you know, hearing people talk about how good <laughs> horror movies are and then watching them being like, this is a piece of crap. Like when, por- when paranormal <laughs> activity comes out and everybody's like, Oh, this is so good. And I'm like, that's a pile of garbage. Like, um, you know, and then the second one comes out and they're like, this is so good. I'm like, but the first one was a big pile of garbage. You said that about the first one. Or like, the Conjuring came out and they're like, this is the best horror movie ever. I'm like, it's fine. Like, <laughs> um, so like, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't, Yeah, but then, then something like the Halloween reboot comes out and people are like, Oh, it just kind of sucks. I'm like, that was great. Like, what are you talking about? So yeah. Yeah. The Halloween remake was actually the 2018 was actually pretty solid. It was a good sequel. I liked it, but I don't really I, have I really much history it. with horror or like even that genre. I've only seen the original. So, um, so I, I like, uh, but so, so I am in that camp of I haven't seen the original and I saw this trailer in a theater. Um, and yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I'm here to, to see it, like not enthusiastically, but if I, if I would have saw the first one, I'd have been like, okay, this looks great. Um, so I, it, it's so much to the point that I'm, I'm going to land it streaming for this um, because it requires, like I would need to see the first one first and um, I just don't, like I'm still not super excited about something that's, a sequel to original um, that I haven't seen the original of. Um, and this wasn't like, you know, when they released the trailer for Borat 2, it was like, oh, I really got to go watch the trailer for that first one because this looks amazing. I was just like, sure, I'd check out the first one so I could check out this one as long as the reviews are still positive. That's kind of where I'm at. Right. So, like, it's a very mild streaming, but I'm not going to land in, uh, in not interested. Um, so I feel, like, uh, I feel like that's my thing. There's a couple weird things about it. So, um so the by the way, I did look, and the writer and director of the second one only wrote on the first one, and Alvarez did write and direct the first one as well. Um, this is this is this director's first um, director's role, though. Um, oh. He has a screenplay credit for the Evil Dead remake, a reboot, not really a remake. Uh, the first Don't Breathe, and this, like 
that's pretty much it. And the upcoming, apparently they're doing another Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, so <laughs> which he'll be writing and producing. So um, they just have to let those films die. Like <laughs> the original was great. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a way they the could day. do it. I just clearly what whatever they've tried isn't isn't it. I think I've seen yeah. one of them. I don't I don't know which one. I think the I think the Alexander Daddario reboot one. Uh yeah, the the remake with uh uh, uh the army. I, I think I'm not positive because okay. it was when I was in high school and it was mostly because this is a really popular franchise. You should see it. one of them. I was like, all right. And I did. I just, nah, <laughs> but, um, it, but for, for this, for this, uh, he's pretty inexperienced, but it's weird because that trailer looks like it's really competent. So I'm not necessarily saying it's a knock. It's just weird. Yeah. It, it looks well shot. I mean, the first movie is super well shot and, it does definitely holds tension well, but the I think the thing that works against it is the characters. It works strongly against it because like I feel like I have to feel bad. Like you want to you want to fall in love with the cannon fodder. Like you want to like you know when somebody falls or something happens, you know you want to like actually care. I feel like that yeah. makes you more engrossed in, in the film. Well, and that's mostly my problem with horror movies is because I don't yeah. care about people, right? Because like look I, look, I care about people. Obviously, that's a bad thing to take out of context. But, <laughs> no, uh, but like I, it, for these movies, like when you watch something like Friday the Thirteenth, it's like I you know Jason's the most likable person. So go ahead, Jason, let's go. Um, yeah. <laughs> or like, or like uh, you're watching something like Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like um, you know, like Freddy Krueger's awesome. Let's go, Freddy. Come on. Um, I mean, maybe that's a little bit different example because there's a lot of icky stuff with his past, but um, the characters. <laughs> so maybe that's a poor example. There's definitely things alluded to, if not yeah. just straight up to, to the viewer. Well, and I've only seen the the reboot, the um, uh, Rorschach. What's the guy's name? Um, uh, yeah, they they uh, they take away all that bail of illusion, uh, or you know, they the subtext. They just kind of just throw it in there. It's just there, right? Right. So that's <laughs> that's my exposure. Uh, gosh, what is his name? Um, oof, I'm gonna kick myself later, um, or it's gonna come up randomly and like. I'm trying to remember his name too. Um, Haley. Uh, Haley. Oh. Jeez, just gonna look it up. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the uh, the I, I just find myself not really getting invested in these. Jackie Earl Haley. Here we go. Yeah. Um, I find myself not really getting invested in these characters because it's just hard to. And I think movies that kind of play on that trope, oddly enough, make me care about characters um, more than any. Like Cabin in the Woods has the best characters in horror movies that I've ever seen. Um, Tucker and Dale versus evil has some of the most likable characters that I've ever seen. Um, I love both of those movies. Just <laughs> right. And you know, it's Shaun of the dead. And like, these are all zombie comedies, but I'm just saying like, it's, it's odd that the movies that make fun of the genre are the things that do the genre the best. Um, like, I guess like, I, I really like, Dawn they, the they care about the characters. Like they actually put some time into like the thing that makes cabin in the woods. So terrific is that it plays off these stereotypes and right, like, but that's not what those characters are. Like they're just you see them kind of like devolve into those things due to circumstances, and it's really funny. Yeah, it's so, like I, I don't know, it's just one of those things that y- y- what you're talking about like is giving me hope that I might actually like this original. Uh, like, I mean, you're talking about how the, some of these some of these characters aren't necessarily fleshed out, but like if we're agreeing on what we're talking about, that like the worst problem with horror movies is that in Halloween I'm rooting for Michael Myers and. Except for against, except for against Laurie, you know, we want Laurie to stay alive. Um, yeah, Laurie Strode's the best, right? Uh, you know, or if I'm watching, 
I'm going to give a bad example soon. It's going to happen because I was, cause I was going to say like the exorcist, but I haven't seen it, but like, you don't root, you don't root for Satan in the exorcist. No, um, <laughs> but I mean, that, that's a, that, that's an outlier movie that has a, a lot of character development and, and depth. It's, yeah. it's more than its parts. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's or, or a, even it's like watching movie. hush. That was a really interesting experience because it's about the, the, the death girl and like, sure. I, I definitely still have my problems with it, but the actress is such a, such a great actress that she was able to emote and make me feel more for her than anybody has in a horror movie in a long time. And yeah. um, so, and it's been like five years, 10 years, five years since I've seen that movie or so. Not 10 years. That movie wasn't even out 10 years ago. Um, so I watch Hush on like regular rotation. I actually oh, yeah. enjoy that movie. Yeah. It's on my list of like, want to watch again, uh, especially after watching Haunting a Hill House. Cause Mike Flanagan's just a, the boss. Yeah. Uh, that so, man's a treasure. He's great. So, uh, yeah, so I feel like this is um, an interesting movie. The other, so the other thing that strikes me out about this is the original came out in 2016. Like, I'm pretty sure this was an indie hit. Like, I don't think this was, like, a big studio release. Um, I mean, I could, although that kind of is horror movies, right? Because they're so low budget. Um, because they don't take a lot to make. It got a pretty big push, Um Upon its release, I think it was riding the wave of Fetty Alvarez's uh, reboot of um, Evil Dead. So okay. it was it was definitely like people were anticipating this film just off of that because like there was a lot of people that were uh, most people I wouldn't or thought of Evil Dead reboot as uh, favorable. Sure. Well, all right, so it looks like uh, production company Screen Gems, Stage Stage Six Film, Ghost House. But these aren't like Twisted Pictures, Lionsgate. These aren't like big studio films. Um, and then, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, um, yeah, I think horror movies even work better when they're indie. Um, yeah, less red tape. Right, right. You know, like Blumhouse stuff, like uh, uh, The Invisible Man, or like it, like It Follows is one of my favorite horror movies of the last decade. I love It um, Follows too. Yeah. yeah so, like, I I just, I just think it's a really interesting um, film that came out in 2016. So maybe like it was just because it was kind of a low budget ish production. Um, you know, that's why they waited five years to put out another one. And sure, we'll give a year because of COVID. But four years for a sequel is kind of a lot. Um, you know, like it, it just seems weird. Like, I don't I don't know that people are necessarily talking. I don't think people would be talking about this film very much anymore if not for a sequel is coming out soon. Is that fair? Right. Uh, I mean, I think it's fair. Like I said, I don't think very favorably of the first one. So my anticipation factor wasn't, wasn't super high or through the roof. But I, do, I definitely know it has a following, though. Yeah, like and like look, a lot of it's just the company you keep, and my the people that I listen to on movie opinions also kind of don't really like horror. There's very few horror fans in Sif Bob. Um, you know, I, I think I might be like one of them. I can't name anybody else off the top of my head that watches as many horror films as I do. There's a, I mean, there's a couple like, and there's a couple like adamant, but like I think a lot of people are kind of low end of middling, you know, except for the gem every now and then. So. Um, Anyway, so like I, I probably will check out these at some point if the second one also gets favorable reviews, uh, because all of a sudden I'm interested in this franchise, and uh, yeah, um, I'd be willing to check it out. But horror is not really something I go to. So, uh, cool. Do you have any other thoughts on that, or do you want to move on? Uh, we can go ahead and move on. I think I think I've uh, I've said enough about about the film as far as I cool. feel about it. Yeah. So again, that's coming out in theaters August 13th this Friday. Um, theater exclusive so um make sure to check that out at your lo local cinema if that's something you're interested in doing 
the other movie that is coming out uh, this week, August 13th, uh, also a theatrical exclusive, is Respect, the life and uh, the life story of legendary R&B singer Aretha Franklin. Um, lots of great um, talent behind this. We got uh, Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin, Forrest Whitaker in a big role there, um, Marlon Wayans, uh, Titus Burgess, uh, Mark Maron. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing people. By the way, like I just, <laughs> just always trying to go for like the most recognizable names. Um, I don't recognize any of the talent behind the camera, but maybe once I look at the, their filmography. But um, anyway, so life and story of Aretha Franklin as portrayed by Jennifer Hudson. Uh, what do you think about Respect, Joe? Same scale. Where do you where are you gonna land? Uh, for me, if like like I said, if we were in uh, any type of normalcy, I would have I would seen this opening weekend. I would see this movie. Uh, trailer is very powerful. Um, I, I think Jennifer Hudson is the perfect person to cast in the role. Um, what we've seen from her in Dreamgirls, she's a, a terrific like on-screen performer, and we know that she has the pipes to to kind of back it as far as portraying this you know this beloved icon Aretha Franklin. So um, yeah, I have nothing but good things. Um, I hope it's reviewed favorably. I hope it I hope it does well. It looks really good. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I think uh, as far as anticipation level, this is. Um, would would see this opening weekend. Uh, now again, I don't, I don't know that I will. Um, like just because of schedules and all that. But uh, I do see this as one is there's a lot promising, and I really don't know much if there is anything not promising about this, right? Like, yeah, like uh, you. Do, I mean, you just read off like you know a receipt list full of like you know favorable actors and performers, like the best. So yeah, I mean, like Jennifer Hudson's like the perfect casting for this role. Um, yeah, it's, at least at it. this point in time. Yeah, um, but uh, but you, even looking like I told you, as soon as I look at the people behind the camera, like I'll be like, oh, they've done things. So um, the the director, uh, by the way, all female writer director combo. All, all like that's that's awesome. Um, perfect for what this is going for. Um, director uh, looks like an episode of The Walking Dead from 2019. Um, couple episodes of Mrs. Fletcher. Um, and uh, directed uh, an episode of J- Jessica Jones, and big fan of Jessica Jones. Uh, so it looks like mostly TV yeah, stuff, uh, actually exclusively TV stuff before Respect. So, um, like, but but some solid work. You know, I don't really know about The Walking Dead. I don't, I don't know necessarily solid, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it varies. It wanes. It goes. You know, there's ups and flows for Walking Dead for sure throughout right. all the seasons. But like Jessica Jones is great. So I'll, yeah, and I've heard great things about Mrs. Fletcher. So sure, why not? Uh, and then the the writers, uh, we got producing credits for The Americans for pretty much the whole series. And that's a great series. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, produced a credit for Fosse Verdon. Heard great things about that. Um, screenplay credits for Fosse Verdon and uh, The Americans. Like So for sure, Tracy Scott Wilson's um, got, a, got a reliable worksheet. And um, uh, Callie Corey, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. K-H-O-U-R-I. Um, uh, writer and uh, producer of Thelma and Louise. So, like, well, there you go. That's <laughs> that ain't nothing. Um, and uh, created the TV series Nashville, which I don't know if that's I've, I've heard of it, so that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, so anyway, like, really respectable reputations on it. Seven point seven on IMDb. There you go. So that's probably a pretty okay, pretty okay. Show. Well, plus, so there, about- there's just something to be said about like having filmmaking done through the female lens as well. Like, if you're if you're yeah. tackling you know a female character. Especially somebody as prolific as Ruth Franklin, you know, I would hope that you know we'd have some female power behind the you know behind the scenes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, at least as far as I can tell, also, um, uh, yeah, also, uh, also it has a similar um, ethnicity behind the camera too. So yep. uh, definitely, definitely lots of commendable going on here. Um, yeah, commendable. God. But want to make sure I say the right words. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely lots, lots of things going on here that are for sure working for it. Um, and uh, I didn't know that I really wanted to see an Aretha Franklin story, but after I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, yeah. And like, you know, Jennifer Hudson, we talked about, is terrific. Uh, um, we down the line, like, I don't know, like, I like Marlon Wayans. I don't, I don't know that I've really seen him in anything dramatic. Um, but, you know, I'm not opposed to it. Lots of comedians yeah, are having a I think dramatic the most renaissance. dramatic thing he's been in is probably a rec, room, a, rec, a rec room for a dream, like early on in his career. He's really terrific in it. So I kind of wish he would do more serious stuff. I don't even remember him in that movie because that's a movie you watch once and never again. So yeah, it, I mean that that's that's why I do remember it. It burned in the back of my mind. I think I've seen it twice, and uh, I think that was enough. Sure. So once every five years, movie, if that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah, lots lots of great uh, people in front of the camera. Uh, really respectable people behind the camera. Um, look, you know, two hours twenty five minutes. You know, that's uh, they're not going to skim on the story. Uh, and like, it looks like it's going to be tackling some really, um, important issues in a really meaningful way. And, uh, I mean, really, isn't that what we hope to achieve by, by telling stories? So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think this is, I think it's going to be a hit. Um, I for sure am going to check this one out at some point, but for anticipation level, I'm going to go ahead and say, stick with the uh, opening weeks. Well, um, I think that's, uh, that's all about it. That's about all I got. So, uh, oh, uh, I guess, uh, also at least based off the trailer, this is definitely going to be at least nominated for fashion and hairstyling at the Oscars. So, um, but those, those biopics, especially like musical ones typically get a shoe in, but looks like a lot of really impressive work going on. Um, yeah. So I mean, really Jennifer Hudson might be up for something too. I mean, probably she was fantastic at dream girls. I never saw dream girls. So uh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I think, did you write about that for a BEC recently? Um, I know no. somebody did. And I was just like, "All right, like I guess I'm checking this movie out." So yeah, it's it's excellent, yeah. movie wise, musical wise, it's it's, uh, it's phenomenal. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to add it to the ever growing list. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, lots so, so look, sounds like it's going to be a good week uh, for movie lovers. Oh, and uh, I didn't mention last week on the podcast, but uh, Free Guy coming out this week. Um, we talked about it last week, but I never set a release date. So sorry if you listened to the podcast. I was like, oh, Free Guys this week, sweet. Uh, sorry, Free Guys now this week. So Free Guy, respect, and don't breathe too. Looks like it's going to be a pretty good week for movie lovers. Um, I just thought that Free Guy paired well with The Suicide Squad. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, I I wanted, see that. and I wanted to talk about all these movies. So uh, I'm actually yeah. excited to see Free Guy. It seems really interesting. Plus, like myself working in the video game industry, it just seems hilarious. Like an NPC being your main character. Is it is it possible this is going to be the best video game movie ever? It it could be. It, I mean, know, like, it's not to... a high bar to set, but no, <laughs> it's not too high. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, people are I... so highly regarded, uh, you know, regarding the first Mortal Kombat movie. So it shows you how you know how tarnished you know the reputation of video game movies are. I love tweeting out like early in the week to be like, any guesses on what our BEC is going to be this week? And uh, uh, just to kind of see, and it was hilarious when we were doing Mortal Kombat. We wound up going with tournament movies, um, but people were like video game movies. I was like, well, here's the problem with that: there have to be at least ten good video game movies to talk about. <laughs> I mean, because like, what yeah. do you, like, what do you got? You got, I would call Ready Player One a video game movie. 
and the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider and like what else you got? <laughs> I mean, I put Sonic the Hedgehog pretty high in that list. I, think oh, I, haven't, I, the, I haven't seen it. The bar is pretty low, but I was like, this is an entertaining movie. It's not 100%, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, but it's endearing. Mm. Some, somebody out there is just screaming like, why has nobody seen this movie? Or why does nobody remember this amazing video game movie? You know. Plus, I, I just love Mortal Kombat, the original, because it's just, it's so cheesy. It's, it's nice to go back and watch it. It's fun. I have a different experience, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Anyway, so it uh, should be a good week for movie lovers. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, also should be getting the case as we get to the end of the year. Um which is not to say that we've not had good stuff come out all this year. We've had lots of great stuff, but um, lots of stuff coming out, especially since things getting pushed back because of COVID. Uh, it's going to be an exciting couple months. So uh, there we go. So ready to we'll move on to the topic now. Um, Joe, would you like to talk about Road to Perdition or a History of Violence first? Uh, let's start with Road to Perdition. Okay, we can start with Road to Perdition. Uh, I was telling Joe that this will be fun because uh, Google Docs decided not to save any of my notes. So um, be talking off the top of my head here. <laughs> um, and that is A-OK. Um, all right, Road to Perdition. Uh, this is uh, 2003, I think. Uh, Sam Mendes directed, uh, based off a graphic novel, um, starring Tom Hanks, Daniel Craig, Paul Newman, um, Jude Law. Uh, and several other um, people that you, uh, might recognize, might know, might love. Um, lots of lots of greatness in this movie. Uh, what do you think about this movie? Do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Uh, I mean, I, I love this movie. I think I'm. I don't think I have anything really bad to say about it. So you won't hear a lot of uh, negative points from me, if any. Um, yeah, I. I'm, sure. no, I'm, I'm with you. I love this movie. Uh, it's it's really excellent. Um, lots 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 to love about it. Uh, and uh, very little not to love about it. So I'm 100% with you. So we can just start off. Just where do you, where do you want to start off? Uh, I think, first of all, like the thing that's really a, a nice change of pace is seeing Tom Hanks play a morally gray character, if not a villain. I mean, mm-hmm. he's playing, you know, kind of like the right-hand man of a, of a, mob, a mob boss, the Irish mafia. Um, but I also don't think he's like, yeah, like I'm saying, like he's a morally gray character. There's, there's definitely complexity to his character. There's a lot there to unpack. And I think that that's what makes the the film overall really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not not to mention how like excellently excellent the story is told. The mood and tone is is perfect. Um, they do like this grayish kind of like muted filter over this film, and it really works with the era that they're that they're working in. Uh, I believe it's the 1930s. Um, uh, yeah, roughly. I think it's yeah, roughly the 1930s. But like, it has that kind of tone. It comes off really authentic. The lighting is beautiful. Uh, they use. Yeah. A lots of like dark and kind of like almost like completely black as far as lighting goes um and the shadow work is really nice but just overall as a story like it's it's very moving um it's scary at times it it, it has it goes through a whole range of emotions uh, incredibly well and the mm-hmm. character work is is perfect especially like the the father and son bond uh throughout the film i think it's really well done yeah um, there's lots to love about this and yeah we'll start with this it's weird like that we don't consider this widely a comic book movie. Like I think you could show this movie to somebody that, you know, isn't really a film person or doesn't love, you know, looking at like behind the scenes stuff whatever. And uh and you you they they probably wouldn't know this is a comic book movie unless they caught the the title. So, um but there's that but but like it's weird watching it like with that lens 
uh, knowing it's based off a graphic novel because, I mean, you can see there are moments that really feel straight out of a comic book, comic book um, specifically with the, the lighting and the shadows uh, that you were talking about. Uh, there's really brilliant artistic stuff done in this movie. So, uh, yeah. And Hanks, I, I think I kind of like border on whether I think he's great or not great for the role. Um, I, I think he is great ultimately, but like it just depends on like what the movie wants him to do. Like as being the father character, um, as being the got to protect my son at all cost character, amazing. But at the beginning of the movie where he's kind of like, you know, supposed to be intimidating, it's like, Tom Hanks intimidating? Nah. So it's just something that's a little, uh, I, I, I don't know, just, I don't think it's perfect. Um, but I think, especially for that father-son dynamic, he's, uh, Hanks is excellent. And, and Paul Newman yeah. is terrific too. Um, yeah, Paul Newman. Like everybody's like at the top of their game. I think this is the first movie I ever saw Daniel Craig in, so that wasn't a good presidence as far as actually it is a good presidence because I absolutely hated his guts. So he's doing his job perfectly. Um, yeah, but he's he's perfection in this. Like he's like he's kind of cowardly, kind of chilling at times, and like uh, he's not really in a, a, a vast amount of the movie, even though he affects the movie so much and affects the plot so much. He's not in it a whole lot, but when he is, um, it's very impactful. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's one of those characters that I watched this movie for. Cause I don't think I saw it until after at least Casino Royale came out. Um, probably after Skyfall came out. And, uh, I mean, that uh, makes sense. Good connection there with Sam Mendes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't think about that until now. Uh, probably it's just because Sam Mendes came on for the third and fourth movies. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I, I think, um, I, I think, I think I watched it after because all of a sudden after this 007 who I really like, you know, what else has this guy done? And then I think I saw Road to Perdition and I watched Layer Cake because I was like, oh, Matthew Vaughn doing this? And this is the <laughs> role that got him 007. Like, obviously, I'm going to watch this movie. So, um, yeah. And then and I saw Defiance, which is a movie I don't think enough people talk about. It's a pretty great one. Uh, but yeah, he's he's great in this movie. He's intimidating. It's it's interesting. And he, um, he it would be easy to play this character... Uh, especially back 2002, by the way, I said 2003 earlier, 2002, it would be really easy to like play this character, like over the top, like nineties villain style, you know, like, like a Batman villain from a Schumacher movie. And he's not, um, he, like, he's really subtle and subdued and very intimidating. Um, and, um, definitely feels like a real presence and a threat, but also kind of feels like a whiny's daddy boy. So, uh, he's playing his part perfectly. Um, if anybody gets the chance to be like a um, 90s Batman villain, uh, <laughs> it's it's Jude Law, and he kind of is, but he's kind of written that way. <laughs> so right, yeah, his his character's meant to be kind of like this. He's kind of a caricature, but it's really well executed. I think I think if it wasn't Jude Law, if it was somebody else put in that place, I don't think it'd be as effective. But he has like all these like weird things that he likes to do. His fingernails are really long. It's not typically what we think of when we see Jude Law. Um, especially prior to this, like he was doing a lot of things where he's very attractive. He's very, I mean, I think before this, it was the talented Mr. Ripley where he's playing kind of like a spoiled rich kid, um, you know, Ricky Greenleaf. So it was like a complete departure about what he was doing. Like he has a comb over, he looks very uh, disheveled and uh, he's the epitome of evil. Like you said, he's like a Batman villain. He's just completely evil. Like there's, there's no redeeming qualities about him. Well, and it it was even weird that like, God, I mean, this is just a prosthetics thing, but like Jude Law in like a prime of his like physical physicality, yeah. like is bald and disgusting. Like however, yeah. they, however they managed <laughs> to make that work. 
Um, you did a good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Special effects, makeup, props, lighting, camera. Look, Sam Mendes knows what he's doing. So, uh, but we all knew that. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm trying to think again because I don't really have my notes. Uh, I think um, I, I look he, for both these movies. Uh, it's all about the themes and messages. Um, and Their themes are very movie, similar. They really uh, are. Um, and I think I kind of knew that going into it. <laughs> Yeah, it actually works out pretty good. Like, there, there's this whole legacy of, like, I mean, it's literally in the title of the history of violence. Like, there's this connection between him and his son. Like, their nature is to be violent. Like, mm-hmm. there's something innately within their DNA to be that way. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll touch upon that more with the, with the other film. But, like, there, there's definitely is something going on where, like, like uh, you know, apples and trees, so to speak. Um, you know, it doesn't far, fall too far from the tree. Um, they both have, like, an innate nature to be similar to their father's in some respect and it's actually brought up in uh road to perdition where he's like you know why do you treat me a certain way and uh just paraphrasing here he's like well because you remind me of myself like that's why i act a certain way like your your brother was a sweet boy but you know you're like me uh, i think they did that yeah. really effectively and i think that opened up the gates too for the relationship i actually thought that was a really uh, beautiful moment um in the film when they're at the farmhouse it's like the only time they get to like kind of like kick their shoes off in the entire movie and actually like interact with each other <laughs> yeah um, for sure. I'm still trying to find my notes. I just, it's not going to happen. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, uh, this, the ending to this movie is really powerful. Um, with even as Hanks is dying, he's just begging his kid not to go down the same path. Um, you know, and throughout the whole movie, like, even though he's kind of teaching him things like how to be the getaway driver for a bank robbery, like he's really trying to, to emphasize like, non-violence and uh um and and you can kind of see that um and i was was talking about how hanks is just not necessarily an intimidating person but i think the reason why he works for this role is not because this is really a father-son movie more than it is a gangster movie but it's it's because he has to play the reluctant gangster you know he's, he's very much like matt damon's character in the departed except matt damon's character likes what he does he likes being a bad guy yeah uh, but like he he's just like this family took me in when I was an orphan and they treated me incredibly well. Like I owe them a massive debt. Like, um, you know, um, I, I don't want to be a bodyguard or a hitman or whatever, but it's only right, um, for, for I, what I, his family's done for me. I think he conveys it well too. Cause like there always, there is like a sadness in his eyes of like the stuff that he has to do. Like it's only to put bread on the table. It's only to repay his, his, his relationship that he has with a surrogate father. Like, it's still having the, um, it's still having the, or the, the scene where he is taking off his, his cufflinks when he comes home after the party. Like, that's the stuff that you could be like, oh, this is why they cast Tom Hanks. Um, so, yeah. Does a few uh, gestures in it. He tells a whole story just through his body movements and like, you know, him taking his gun, taking his holster off, putting all his things down. You know what I mean? Like his son peering into the door and he closes the door. Like, I don't want you to see any of this. Like, this is, you know, this isn't what, you know, I, I want you to become. I see too much of myself in you already. I don't need you to go down that path. Well, and his kids are, I, I can't remember if they even have it listed here, but his kids are relatively young and the younger one has absolutely no idea what he does oh, for a living. And that should say <laughs> something. And the only reason that the older son, the one that lives knows is because, you know, he is not oblivious. <laughs> Um, so I mean, he's 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 of age, you know. He's not, you know. There's no way to kind of like hide this from him at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To touch upon uh, 
Yeah, uh, Michael Sullivan Jr. played by Tyler um, Hoechlin. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying his name right. I mean, he's he's fantastic. I- I'm glad he's doing really well um, recently. I mean, he's Superman <laughs> in the TV yeah. series. It was one of those uh, I looked up the IMDb to see if he's done anything else. I thought, look, I thought he was fine. I I, I don't think he was like great, but for 2002, he was certainly really good. Um, but yeah, he's the Superman in Lois, uh, and he's in Palm Springs. He plays the the groom. Um, <laughs> So always, anytime I can talk about Palm Springs, I guess it's not just Superman and Lois. He's been Superman Clark Kent in the Arrowverse. So but yeah, yeah, that's like uh, his most notable role. Yeah. yeah, so like it's 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 nice to see that he did something. He's not just you know <laughs> child actor that had a great role that never did anything again. You know, Jake Lloyd or um, I guess <laughs> I guess nobody really liked that performance necessarily. But you know, like um, anyway, um, yeah, he's he was he was totally totally fine, totally serviceable. Um, so good. the, the scene, the scene at the diner with Jude Law is like the most intense one. Uh, that's to me, that is the peak. I, I love when movies do that where like, you know, that anything could go wrong at any minute. Um, you know, and uh, even the, you, like it, it gives you a similar like feeling. The, the, the bomb under the table, you know what I mean? Type of, yeah. type of mechanic. To films. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's, I love it when a movie could do that where they could just, here's your main character. Uh, your your protagonist and the antagonist, and sometimes it's they don't know they're in a, interacting with each other, and sometimes it's they both know, but they're trying to see if the other person knows, and you know, and at that point it becomes a matter of like outwitting the other, because um, almost never does this resort in somebody getting shot. But, you know, you think about like Die Hard when he meets um, Hans Gruber and he says his name is Bill Clay, and like so it's, <laughs> McLean has to outwit him. Uh, which is not an easy thing to do against Hans Gruber, but uh, or you think about like uh, um, uh, like like Captain America in, in the, and Red Skull in the first Avenger, like coming face to face, and then the bridge separates between them, and it's like oh, like uh, you just get this moment. I'll, I mean, that one doesn't quite linger in you know subtle intent, or like uh, or like Baby Driver when they go to the diner and uh, and uh, oh yeah, uh, that's a great one. Uh, that's a one, almost one-on-one uh, comparison, so I, I think that's a perfect example. Yeah, it's 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 definitely similar. So um, lots of uh, lots of classic examples of you know, the uh, the beginning and ending of Pulp Fiction too. Yeah, um, like lots of uh, that's the thing. I like when they can play it like a clever like one person doesn't know what's going on, but gosh, this is Sam Mendes knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, well, they're, they're basically feeling each other out. Like, they have these assumptions about each other. Well, there's not an assumption on McGuire's end. McGuire knows who he is. Yeah. But, you know, Michael's like, you know, I've I've, uh, I've seen a few things in my life, and this guy seems like he's super out of place in this diner. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ready this steak knife. And I love the fact that he still ends up using the steak knife, but he takes out his tire. <laughs> <laughs> so either either way you, you cut it, uh, he effectively used that tool to get out of the situation. Well, cool. and it's also one of those things, like, it, probably an easier move could have been make a move on Jude Law. And, like, I think we understand that Mike Sullivan can, you know, be a boss, but the movie's him trying to get out of the game. Um, or, I mean, I guess I guess not necessarily, because he does go ask for a job from Capone. Um, yeah. But, but you know, he's trying to at least get, like, not let his son get in the game. And if he were to make a move at that Jude Law character in the diner, then like you can't keep your son out of it at that point. But um, you know, but by using a creative solution to get out of it, he showed that violence isn't always the best. So um, I mean, what a, what a critical moment we're talking about there. 
Um, I, I think the only other thing I can remember that I really want to mention is the uh, uh, the death scene of Paul Newman. And dang if this isn't maybe the best shot in comic book cinema history. Um, oh, coming to yeah. the car, <laughs> reaching for the door handle, realizing something is off, and then out from the shadows, from pitch black, bullets, and everybody around Paul Newman getting killed. Uh, everybody around him just getting gunned down by Mike Sullivan, but unflinching, unwavering. And then all of a sudden he realizes, all right. And then he realizes, or then he says like, I'm, I'm glad it was you. Like what a brilliant, <laughs> perfect scene to, to kind of capture this, this movie's messages and artistic direction and um, kind of everything coming full circle. And I mean, cause at that point, like he thinks he's out. And, and, you know, because the, the Daniel Craig is already character already is already the picture out of the picture. And if there's nobody to pay the, the hitman, then you don't need to worry about him. And they're about to sneak off anyway. So, uh, God, what a, what a just beautiful scene to watch, to think about, to experience. It's, it really is the, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, it's the single best thing about this movie is that scene. I think the scene that's, that's really powerful is just the ending, um, it made me tear up quite a bit. Um, yeah, me too. Because like the the way it connects so seamlessly between like you know, you you happen stance across this couple that can't have children, mm-hmm. and by by some miracle they meet they meet these two, and Michael Sullivan Jr. You know he's he's gonna need somebody. He has nobody in this role. He has nobody. But then they just happen to you know yeah. to stumble across his family, and, and it comes full circle at the end when he uh, you know he meets back up with them and becomes you know essentially their son and you know is living off a farm for the rest of his life so i thought it was it's it's one of those moments in film that's like it's a real feel-good moment even though it's it's at times can feel bittersweet like um the shawshank redemption where it's like finally mm-hmm. you know there's that finally cathartic release of like something going right for once mm-hmm. uh, going well so yeah I, I love that scene yeah i could probably do without the narration um it, it feels unnecessary at that point uh, because he's, it's Mike Jr. as an adult, kind of saying, um, you know, what, what, what do people say when when they ask about Mike? So yeah, it's just like I don't, I don't, I don't really know that I need it, right? And I, I think they do it, they do it visually, like you know, I mean, that's what the whole movie is 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 leading up to. So like, right? And like, I, I think, I think the the ending narration is meant to say that it worked. You know, who do people say, um, or what do when people ask me about Mike Sullivan, here's what I say. Um, when people ask me if Michael Sullivan was a good man, if there was no good in him at all, I was given the same answer. I just tell him he's my father. Like it's, it's encapsulating what this movie is going for, but like, you're right. He's been showing it. He's, they've shown us that. And it's not necessarily like in your face, but it's also not subtle at all. So it just kind of feels redundant maybe. And I'm just like, for a movie that is so smart about, all these things to have it end on a narration note like that when all you have to do even look even after the the hanks character dies and and he kills uh, jude law like you've you've sealed all your loose ends you just show the car driving to the cornfield and coming up to the couple like and have the credits start rolling over that like that's a totally just as good of an ending if not a better so yeah that would have worked for me also like i said i, I already I already was making those connections in my mind. I'd seen the movie right. too. That's what it's just, it just feels <laughs> redundant is all. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, to- totally amazing movie. I think, I think it's on a, uh, it's on prime video. You can check that out. Yeah. That's on prime video right now. 
So I don't I don't know elsewhere off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I, I'm all out because I don't have my handy list in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just uh, just to further iterate, like the cast is like amazing. Like we talked about Tom Hanks, Paul Newman. I mean, Stanley Tucci, um, uh, Syrian Hines, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee as the as the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a just a fantastic you know ensemble cast and backed by you know a great director and, and a solid script. Mm-hmm. I guess this, the script would be the, the graphic novel. So kudos to that person who wrote the graphic novel because it's, it's quite uh, a story. Graphic novel by Max and Co- Alan Collins and Richard Piers Rayner. Screenplay by David Self. Um, oh, those, they all collaborated well to, to make that happen. Well, Sometimes uh, tr- translations can be loosey-goosey when you're doing a, doing a comic book adaptation. Or... Yeah, sometimes. But it, this really feels... It really feels like a comic book movie, but also not at all like a comic book movie. Like visually, you can kind of see this comes from, but like I don't know, like no, nothing about it feels comic-y. But it's not meant to be a comic book movie. It's not meant to be, you know, Superman or even like V for Vendetta or anything like that. Like cause all those feel like this is meant to be a story that that's just the medium they t- they choose they chose to tell. Um, they, right, and you know, because sometimes graphic novels just tackle things that are you know, that me and you go through, like that's, they're, you know, they're very grounded. And this is definitely one of those cases where it's really grounded and more of a period piece. Have you uh, read this graphic novel or like flipped through it at all or anything? Uh, I haven't. Uh, I, I might do so now uh, after actually when I first saw the movie, I didn't know it was based off the graphic novel. Yeah. I, I didn't I, know what history of violence was when I first saw it, but I just never read the graphic novel. I mean, I feel <clears throat> I, I didn't know either, but yeah, I mean, I, and I really want to read it now because it's uh there's three three parts uh it's called the Perdition Saga Road to Perdition Road to Purgatory Road to Paradise uh, the three graphic novels and uh, yeah I mean I really want to check them out because um, I wonder if, I mean, three graphic novels worth what did this movie miss because um, it feels like a complete movie and it feels like a complete story so but like you know is is there things that are in the movie that aren't displayed well in the um, or is there things in the graphic novel that aren't displayed really well? And like, what does the art style look like? Um, I'm really interested in in just grabbing these, and probably will at some point. They're about fifteen bucks a piece, but I think yeah, I'll just pick them up. <laughs> right, like forty five bucks for the three. Sure, why not? Um, so cool. Uh, well, let's move on to the history of a uh, history of violence, and not the history of violence, a history of violence. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about that for a hot second. Um, Joe, what do you think about this movie? Uh, same thing, like it, love it, hate it, dislike it. I think it's just okay. Uh, I'm probably between uh, like it and love it, so I say I really like it. Um, it's not it's not perfect to me to me, and I think in comparison to uh, something like Road to Perdition, it's it's falling a little bit shorter than that, which is not a bad thing because I think Road to Perdition is a phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the cinematography. Um, I, I love the brutal nature and how it handles its violence. Um, it's it's not glamorized at all. Like it's it's horrific. It, it's got a lot of body horror, which makes sense because Cronenberg directed it. Yeah, uh, it seems yeah, very weird. Yeah, um, it, it seems very true to life and 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 vicious. Um, like the transition at the beginning is fantastic with the two robbers, and they go into he goes into I, I don't know what what building it is whoever they just recently robbed. I think it's a hotel. And uh, finds a little girl and shoots the little girl, and it transitions into Tom's daughter waking up from a nightmare and talking yeah. about how she's seen monsters. <laughs> I just think it was a really uh, powerful transition. Um, 
but yeah um also like the synergy between Vigo Mortensen and Rhea Bello is is realistic I feel like their reactions and how they interact with each other is is fantastic they seem like a married couple they seem like they're very happy um comes mm-hmm. off very natural and until like the you know this uh this horrible stuff kind of re-enters um Joey's life <laughs> um as he's uh, as he's unveiled to be uh, but yeah I, I like the way the movie unfolds uh it's very methodical and I, I don't like the overall theme of history of violence meaning more than one thing yeah so yeah i really like it i think it's i think it's a terrific movie uh yeah i'm gonna land in the liked it category too uh there's just really two main things that's gonna keep me from from loved it uh but again i i don't I think this would be a lot like Road to Perdition, like where we can find things that we can just talk about and glamorize, but uh, and you know gush about how how great it is. But um, there's there's just a couple things I think that that really hold me back from loving this movie, and um, I'll, I just want to start with those because then I want to just be able to kind of freely talk about how how great this movie mm-hmm. is. Um, and I have a couple things that I think like don't necessarily knock it, um, but don't just kind of are a conversation piece. So. It's not the only negative things I'll say, but these are the negative things that actually impact my experience. And that is, um, I get that the point of the, you know, Joey, as we learned to learn, he is, uh, the Joey <laughs> yeah. character is, um, is supposed to be kind of one dimensional and reserved and haunted. And like, he's not really supposed to have much character to him, partly because I think, you know, we're supposed to think he's just some common small town, everyday person and, not and partly also maybe they're trying to get us to put ourselves in his shoes which if that was the intention the way this movie goes is is maybe not if it turns out that he's not actually joey that wouldn't be a a bad way to take it is you know try to try to make this person like try to make us feel like that person um so i don't he just he feels really one-dimensional but i get that like it's kind of the point but i still feel like you could do more um you know movies where even a character is one-dimensional or has like trauma or trying to be like, ha- like has a secretive past. Like a great recent example is Bob Odenkirk in, uh, in nobody like not, not necessarily traumatized by his past, but you can tell he's got some shady stuff, but, and he kind of plays it a bit like a one dimensional character, but like you can kind of see he's, he's doing something with it. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I like, maybe, maybe it's the screenplay. Maybe it's Viggo Mortensen. It's quite possibly Cronenberg. Uh, it's more than likely a combination of all the things kind of work. I just, it kind of sucks me out of it. Cause like, I can't relate to this character at all because it's not trying to make me put into shoes, but I don't know anybody like this character because he is a blank slate. He's nothing. So, but he's not nothing that is meant to be me. Anyway. Um, do you, do you feel the same or do you like push back? And, uh, um, I think my only complaint is like, I feel like I'd like to know more about Joey. You only see Joey in like these, like, I wouldn't say fits of rage, but like these, like the furious way that he like dispatches people. Actually, you know, the way he calmly dispatches people. Like yeah. it's never like it looks like it's business. It's never pleasure. Like he just does it, and it's brutal and it's horrible. But like, um, I I kind of like the fact that like he kind of created this this alternate persona that was more of an average everyday guy, and I and I think that that's what adds to it being one dimensional because it's complete facade. So he's like, oh, he's like he's a diner owner. He's a really nice guy. He's like you know. Uh, He's you know, very calm. He's very like to himself. But like, if you really think about it, you're like, well, someone who had kind of like a mischievous past or somebody who had it, like, they're going to want to downplay it as much as possible because they don't want right. that to ever come back to them. Um, right. But yeah, but I could see your point though. You're like, 
he still comes off as very one dimensional. Uh, calling him even two dimensional is kind of like a stretch. Yeah, um, he's yeah, he's just he seems like just an everyday like kind of like local you know town person. He might as well be a cardboard cutout for half this movie. Like, yeah, there's there's definitely other people that are doing the heavy lifting for him, like Maria Bello. I think she's really excellent. Yeah, and, and Ed Harris for sure. Because Ed, Ed Harris is like out. kind of like his hype man, like without yeah. meaning to do it, because he despises him. Like he took you took my eye. You you know who you are, Joey. Like poking at him, prodding at him. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, I think that's what makes that character effective. It's not Viggo Morrison himself. Not to say he does a bad job, um, but it's just everybody around him that kind of elevates that character. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I guess that's fine. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's just going to be a matter of perspective. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I kind of wanted more there, um, personally, and that's fine. Um, He's definitely other, not the most interesting character in the movie. Like, he by far is not the most interesting movie or character right, in think, the movie. <laughs> I think the movie kind of wants us to think he is, but yeah. Anyway, um, so I think there's that, and I th- and I think honestly, again, maybe a better movie is he's not Joey and kind of figuring out that uh, very different themes of the movie. It becomes a very different message. It becomes, mistaken identity. Right. Yeah. But like, if this is, if this is, you know, like, like, you know, Oh yeah, you're Joey. What if it's just like some guy that looks the exact same? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I think that's a very, th- that makes a very interesting movie as well. Um, and I'm going to turn that into a positive, but it's, but I think, I think maybe the better version of, kind of this movie without the message is that mistaken identity and, and all that. But, uh, um, the other, the other, uh, con that I have with the movie, I, I really don't think this movie kind of feels like a breeze to watch because it's a like crisp, uh, let's see, 96 minute movie, including credits. Like it's not very long at all. It's probably the shortest movie we'll ever review on the comic book section of this podcast. Yeah. Um, but it's, it feels like even that that is a little bit stretched out. Um, it feel this feels like an episode of TV. Like that feels like kind of the length it should be. This feels like it should be an episode of the Twilight Zone or um, you know a, a bottle episode of you know insert police or a small town something or you know anthology series or you know, like Twilight Zone or whatever. Um, this this feels more like it probably could be. TV show episode length, and maybe maybe the graphic novel is a lot more complex and has a lot more things that the movie just cut for the sake of you know trying to make it fit a decent runtime. But it, it just feels like at least with the narrative we're given here, it really feels like sometimes they're stretching that hour and a half because um, it's a brisk watch, but it also is like oh that kind of just came and went and didn't need really need to be an hour and a half. That's my only other complaint. Um, yeah, I think it's only other thing too efficient. Yes, yes, too efficient. Uh-huh. It's, it's like, I want to, like you said, I, I'd like to know more about Tom slash Joey, like, dive yes. a little deeper. Like, even when you get to the conclusion, it feels very anticlimactic. Like, oh, so that's the end of the movie. Okay. Well, and I don't know how you fixed it, because I don't want this <laughs> no, movie definitely. to flash back every five scenes. And I don't, I don't want, want this movie, either, yeah. I don't want this movie to get to the end, the big, you know, the gunfight, and then, you know, do a flashback to show you, you know, all of Joey, right? Like, I don't, I don't want that. I think... You know, and and I think here's my biggest pro of this movie is for probably the first what would you say 65 minutes of this movie, you're legitimately not sure whether this guy's Joey or not. Like you kind of get in Lincoln, you're like they're probably right, but you're le- you're legitimately not sure on your first watch. Um, 
Like, I'm like, all right, like, I could see this going either way. Like, he's being kind of adamant and, like, sure, mistaken identity, you know, this is, it's not like they have a photo compared to him or it's not like he has a certain tick that gives him away or anything. It's just, they're really positive this guy's him. And it's like, I, I, the first time watching this, I'm leg- I was legitimately not sure whether he was. I think that's great that the movie does that. I, I think the only way you make it work with getting, seeing more Joey is to not have that mystery. But that mystery is my favorite thing about the movie. So, I don't know how you turn this into a movie that I love. I really don't. Um, you know, yeah, maybe, I, it's a, I just, maybe it's a short, like a 20 minute short. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I mean, I, like you said, if you, if you were to show flat, like flashbacks and do other things, like it would come off cheap. Like yeah. you said that, that mystery, like I knew who I knew that it was, that was him. Like I had the hunch that it was really him the entire time. But like, I think that's a testament to his performance is that like his deniability mm-hmm. is like super believable. Like he's like, no, like I don't know these people. Like, when people are acting like they don't, they're not a certain person. Like it's very like telling that mm-hmm. he seemed to really hide his cars extremely well. Um, so I will get out the Viggo Morrison. Like, I feel like he did that uh, extremely well. And, yeah. and, and, and given what his character was, was provided, I think he did the best he could with what he, what he had. Like I said, I think he was, he was written as kind of like a very one dimensional character. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I, it just seemed again, these are two not necessarily big negatives. Um, that I think the characters were dimensional, no. and I think that even though it's a brisk hour and thirty six minutes, it still feels like this story was too like not not complex enough to justify a full you know film length runtime whatever. Um, so like that's those aren't like super big negatives. There, it's not like oh yeah, this character I hated, and you know I I hate that the movie treats this person this way, or you know this or like the dialogue was terrible, like. Or like this character didn't feel like he belonged to this movie. Like like no like everything everything about this movie works, just none of it works to the next level. Right. To, to kind of put it over the top as being like a classic, you know what I mean? Like like yeah. it's, it's definitely a really solid film, but like not a movie that I would watch on like super heavy rotation. No, and nothing about this even feels like a comic book movie either. It feels like a just any random you know screenplay that came across some producer's desk. Um, it doesn't have shots that feel comic booky. It doesn't have characters that feel drawn out and fleshed out in a comic book. It doesn't. Nothing about this movie hints that it came from a comic comic book source material. So, like, counter to Road to Perdition, where I'm like, yeah, I want to go read that. I don't. I don't know that I have any interest in a history of violence unless this movie is is different or like the you know kindergarten version of that. Uh, either way, like, I'm still. I don't. I don't know how interested I am in it. Um, maybe I would like, I'm sure I would like the graphic novel more than I like this movie, but it's not to say I don't like this movie. It's, I do. Um, it just doesn't quite reach next level for me. Oh, that's fair. Like I said, I think we're in the same camp. Like I liked it, but like it just wasn't at that same level of like a road to perdition as far sure. as being something adapted from a graphic novel. And yeah, similar, similar themes to both. Um, this one a little bit more beats you over the head with it, but, uh, um, literally not, beat you over the head with it <laughs> <laughs> but nothing uh nothing too um you know nothing too too much to where i was ever like all right come on now stop you know this wasn't like watching a fast and furious movie where it's like i get it family's important like it wasn't anything like that um it was but it was it this was a little bit more on the nose and um yeah less complex I, this is a uh, in a lot of ways the lesser version of road to perdition <laughs> with a different avenue right. of telling the same tale. 
So which is which is interesting to me too because like they even do the rule of like show don't tell like showing that his son has these violent tendencies when he like lashes out the bully. But yeah. like in Road to Perdition, they have one scene where they just talk about the similarities between father and son, and that was much more effective. It's really weird, but like, I guess like it's all about how you handle a scene and how you're directing your actors. Like to yeah. me, that was more effective. I think it also helped in uh, Road to Perdition that they showed you that um, Michael Sullivan Jr. is like. He's kind of a mischievous kid. You know, he's smoking cigarettes. He's just kind of hanging out. He's a little more mischievous than his younger brother is. Like I said, he looks more, he's a little more worldly. But they were able to kind of like layer that on, layer that on to that, that he's very similar to his dad, like kind of following a similar path without, um, you know, getting into a fight or like any type of confrontation to show that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm with you there. Um, maybe, maybe the only other thing I'd say to this movie is, and again, this isn't, this isn't going to be a knock in the movie. It's just, it feels like we're watching two different movies here. Uh, it feels like we're watching the case of potential mistaken identity. And then we're watching an, an early version of a saw movie, <laughs> um, or like an early version of, you know, whatever an Eli Roth movie or something like that. Um, you know, it feels like we get this, this really interesting, complex dialogue driven intense. And then we get Rambo last blood. <laughs> um, <laughs> Or, or Rambo, whatever. Like, we get you know, ultra-violence, and it just, it almost feels like, uh, gosh, it almost feels like if I were watching this movie, I might just turn it off at a certain point, or I might turn it on at a certain point. Like, like I might, like, just decide, all right, well, I know how this ends. Giant gunfight, boom, bing, bang, boom, dead. Um, you know, people, and then, you know, and like, all right. Or I might just be like, you know, but, I, but, like, I'm here for the dialogue stuff, or... Counter, I might just be like, all right, I just want to see Viggo Mortensen tear some people up. I, I just this movie is just very split. Not really either part has to do with the other, and feels like two different movies. Feels like Cronenberg directed the last fifteen twenty minutes, and <laughs> I don't know somebody that's a little bit more dialogue driven directed the first hour fifteen. You know? Yeah. It, like now that I think about it, like there's certain scenes that like lined up to me, and like it, it felt very familiar to Drive. Where like mm. there's these scenes of like ultra violence within this within this kind of like I wouldn't say standard narrative, but like you know it, it's kind of more grounded. And then you have like these moments, these flourishes of violence that are just uh, visceral and, and really horrific. Like I said, totally like it, it kind of like it's jarring, but like sometimes it's in a good way. Sometimes it's not as effectively done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm out of things to say. So yeah, whatever else you want to say. <laughs> um, yeah, just. I think Cronenberg was was probably the perfect person to direct something like this, just mm-hmm. due to the fact of its kind of like I said, this vicious, visceral nature of like violence and like having to reflect that through actions. Uh, I think he did that extremely well. Uh, but overall, I enjoy the movie. Uh, I I think it's a really solid movie. Uh, but for the things that you've stated and we've talked about, like it's just it's on the cusp of being a really great movie. But it but it's it's a solid movie. It's it's not quite there yet. There's just, there's a couple of things that probably could push it over the edge, but I'm not uh, talented enough to figure that out. But hmm. I think I think I'll say one more thing about the movie. It's just that this came out in 2005, but it looks, feels, and like literally looks, feels, and kind of belongs more like in the mid 90s. Like this movie feels late to the party with the way that it is. I don't know, like. It's not necessarily like a super high def. It's not necessarily shot terrifically or anything like that. Um, yeah. It it feels like 
it belongs maybe in the like later nineties. Um, I was kind of surprised the first time I saw it and it said 2005. I was like, really? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's all I wanted. Uh, and like, it, it you know, I, I don't know what the reason for that is. And it, it does have that feel to it, right? Like I, I felt the same way. Like I was like, this doesn't really, like, this, this feels like this could have been a double feature with, and, and this is nothing to say against uh, Shawshank Redemption. It's my favorite movie of all time, but this could have been like a double feature along with that. Like, looks like they could have sure. came, came out around the same time. This this feels like Road to Perdition, which came out three years earlier. Was it feels like was made ten years later? Yeah, like, I mean, and that's, I mean, that that's a that's a testament to Sam Mendes and like where where that man was going with his career and like he was kind of yeah. leagues ahead of a lot of people as far as directing goes. Yeah, I mean, even Road to Perdition two thousand two is like really like. <laughs> As you said, like it looks like that could have came out yesterday. Like, oh wait, you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I two great movies this week. One just really excellent, and one really good, but maybe just not quite next level. But uh, right. still, I, I would I would recommend them both for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sweet. Well, since these are both kind of gangster or mafia movies, you know, along those lines. Um, I thought we could do our, our best ever gangster mafia movies uh, and we'll do it Sif pop weekly style. We'll do it in top five with rank and Trump rules and all that uh, with honorable mentions. And uh, we'll do that. Now I did decide when I made my five that uh, I'm not just going to pick any movie that happens to include sort of minorly gangsters of the mafia. Like I really thought about putting the nice guys in here um, because there's enough to do with, you know, the mafia of the time and in the gang of the time to, for me to say they're definitely present in it, but they aren't necessarily the driving force. Um, they aren't necessarily even relevant to the plot. I mean, there's, um, there's hired hands, but I wouldn't say gangsters, um, or, or mafia. And it's, it's almost like the only time you get it is when they talk about the auto industry. And so the, anyway, so like, I wouldn't. I love the nice guys, and I think it definitely has elements of trying to go for gangsters in there somewhere. But I would not consider it a gangster movie. So um, I, this isn't just they're around. This is has to be relevant to the plot. So um, and however you define gangster, you know, because these aren't just suit tie and fedoras. So uh, right, and I think based off of looking at your list, I, I'm pretty sure we're both kind of on the same page for at least both of those. So, yeah, I, I think I took the route of the, uh, the suit and the fedora pretty, uh, pretty extensively on my list, but I, I yeah. take it too literally. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I mean, but there's some good stuff in there that kind of isn't. So, um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get to talk about them and this will be fun too, because I think we'll only have one Trump this whole time. Um, unless we change. So, uh, I'll kick us off. I'll give my number five. My number five is LA confidential. Um, this was one I was kind of teetering on if if it really counted. Uh, which, by the way, all five and six of my honorable mentions are all in my favorite hundred movies of all time. Um, but I think uh, I think there's enough there because they mentioned Mickey Cohen and you know the police corruption is in a way kind of like a gang itself. I mean, they're definitely affiliated with the gang. So um, yeah, maybe not your typical might think of. Uh, actually, that's I think you would think of it. Um, Anyway, L.A. Confidential, not, I don't know, it's, it's weird. It's, it's almost kind of like a secondary thing, but it's still relevant enough. So that's my number five. Yeah, for my number five, I went with uh, Departed, uh, which yeah. is the, uh, the American remake of Infernal Affairs. Yeah, and this is, uh, the, this is the one time we're going to have a Trump, so. 
<laughs> I'll trump you, and we'll talk about it when we get to to where I have it on my list. Um, okay. Uh, I went with Baby Driver for number four um, because I love Baby Driver. I think it's by the way, LA Confidential. All all these five I have are all in my top thirty films of all time. So that should say something. Um, uh, you know, Baby Driver is uh, yeah, such a great, such a great, uh, great movie. Edgar Wright, terrific screenplay and direction, and um, I love this gang and I love the way they operate. You know, they never use the same person twice, uh, like in combination with others. And, you know, you get this one job where you get kind of, you know, the A team and all the little details and how this movie is essentially a musical. Um, I love baby driver. It's the third act is, is maybe a bit long and kind of doesn't work the best for me, but I think everything technically and for the first two acts are just brilliant and perfect. So, uh, baby driver is my number four. I agree. That's a good pick. Like the first like two and a half thirds of that movie are like perfection. Uh, and the musical yeah, elements sure. are really well done. Uh, yeah. For, for, for my number four, uh, I went with casino. Uh, I mean, casino is a classic. I mean, if you're, mm-hmm. you're the Joe Pesci and uh, you know, De Niro, I mean, I don't, I, I would say it, is, it doesn't get any better than this, but it does get better than this, <laughs> but it's, it's <laughs> definitely, it, it's definitely up there. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite uh, mafia slash gangster movies. Yeah, this is such an incredible story with some of the best performances from these people's careers. Uh, I mean, um, De Niro, um, Pacino. Like Sharon Stone Pacino. is really great in it, too. Like, Yeah, Sharon Stone. Is Pacino <laughs> is in that one, too? Uh, no, he's not in this one. No. Uh, it's a, Joe, Joe Pesci, Pesci, Pesci uh, yeah. De Niro, yeah. Pesci other, is fantastic in this movie. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is probably Pesci's best role, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I would say. Um, and I know, like... Uh, never mind. I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Goodfellas is his best role, but uh, he's he's really great in this. Um, yeah, uh, they have they have striking similarities as far as their characters go. Um, they do, and maybe it's because I feel like he gets a little bit more screen time in um in Casino. Um, because there's also a certain point of Goodfellas where he's just out of the movie and he never comes back. Um, um, even though like I'm pretty sure that's where he got his Oscar. Um, yeah, I think so. I think it, I think it was for Goodfellas. Casino is also like an incredibly long movie, so um, it is. Yeah, uh, I think I've only seen it like two or three times, but uh, only because of length. Like it's just so long. Yeah. Got to put time yeah, aside to watch it. <laughs> I've only seen it the once, uh, but I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. It's great. Definitely, Scorsese knows what he does. Uh, knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, uh, really, really great stuff for Casino. Yep. Uh, my number three is Depart- is The Departed. So now we get to talk about it. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Why did you, why did you have uh, Departed at number five here? Um, it, it kind of breaks the mold too, because like most of the films I have here are, are Italian mafia, so it was nice to see something of the, the kind of Irish variety for mafia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the structure of the story is really well done. It's very crisp the way it's directed. Um, it's really easy to rewatch. Um, the characters are excellent. Uh, yeah, and Mark Wahlberg is actually really effective in this movie, which is usually not the case in a lot of films. Uh, I think he's used to perfection in this movie. Uh, and yeah. the cast is just amazing. <laughs> The cast this is my, ridiculous. This is my favorite <laughs> Mark Wahlberg performance because he's just kind of in the background, and whenever he talks, it's just like the most nutty, insane, wild, hilarious thing you've ever heard in your entire life. So, <laughs> yeah. um, it was perfectly written for him. Like that character is like that was perfect for him to play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for for sure. I don't uh, believe him as a high school teacher, but I believe him as a cop. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say. You make the connection there. <laughs> Yeah, fair. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Do you prefer The Departed or in, or Infernal Affairs? I've never seen Infernal Affairs. I heard it's really good, uh, but uh, I don't know. I'd have to give it a shot. But 
from what he based the screenplay off of, I mean, it's probably a terrific film. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. I just think there's something... I, it, this is the more polished version of Infernal Affairs. I mean, Infernal Affairs is a great story and has very similar scenes. Um, I watched it maybe two years ago. Um, maybe less than that. Like, maybe right at the start of quarantine uh, in last year. Um, uh it's it's got uh, like very similar scenes, like specifically the one where uh, where they're about to make the raid on the compound, and he's let people know, but everybody's watching them. Their phones are like right. straight straight from the movie, like some of the most intense things, um, and very similar like outline. Uh, but um, uh, it, but because because it's you know an action film in Korea, they, there's a little bit more focus on action, whereas The Departed is a little bit more focused on characters and motivations. Um, it's not a very like it's an intense movie, but it's not a very like action heavy movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I do prefer the the Departed, uh, but Infernal Affairs is also in my top hundred somewhere. Um, so yeah, okay. yep. This is uh this is my favorite. This is my favorite Scorsese movie. So uh, there we go. Um, and then so my, for my my number two, I no no your number three then because I did a uh, the Departed. Yeah, your number three. Uh, yeah, for my number three, I chose a Bronx Tale. Uh, for yeah. I, it's it's relatively well known, but as far as like gangster movies go, it's it's not widely known by the masses. It's mm-hmm. kind of a smaller film. It has like a lot to do with kind of like legacy and like who do you follow? Do you follow your you know, your father's footsteps or your surrogate father? Like what do you, you know, like, what do you do in that situation? Like one's going to steer you in one direction, one's going to steer you in another. Um, but yeah, it's just excellent storytelling. Um, you get to see uh, this kid Clojuro kind of grow up seeing all these like terrible things as far as what the mafia is doing and kind of like seeing his dad, who's just, you know, just a poor schmuck driving a bus, like whose footsteps he's going to follow in. Like where, where does his morality lie? Like it's a, it's a really nice tale. Uh, yeah. I've not seen it. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to give it a check out, especially cause I'm looking the stars, De Niro and uh, Robert De Niro and Chaz Palminteri. And this was written by Chaz Palminteri based on a play he wrote and directed by De Niro. So like, interesting that the two leads also were the writer and director in separate roles so yeah it's it's really well done and like when these two like meet in the story like it's not it's done effectively um they don't always constantly are like at heads with each other at, you know butting heads but um i won't yeah. talk too much about it i mean you're gonna want to watch the movie but uh sure. yeah i think it's a really underrated kind of mob film kind of coming of age movie yeah i'll give it a i'll give it a check check i'll check it out at some point um for sure um Okay, so then my number two. This is where I have City of God. Um, not so not uh, not a typical suit and tie and fedora. <laughs> no. um, not even an American movie, but uh, definitely very very gang oriented in uh, in Rio. Um, what an excellent, beautiful, uh, just perfect movie. Um, I love it uh, with the most deceptive movie poster I've ever seen of all time because. I saw this movie is one of the highest ranked on IMDb and I was just like, yeah, I'm not interested in watching that. Cause a guy and a girl sitting on a beach, staring at a sunset. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I don't really care about seeing a, a rom-com. And this is the farthest thing from a rom-com. I mean, there is romance elements and there is comedy in it, but uh, no, this is a gangster movie uh, and it's um, among the best for sure. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that pick. That's actually my honorable mentions. Uh, I think the only reason why I didn't put it on there, cause uh, I was in the yes, the suit and fedora type of uh, mentality. <laughs> But yeah, it's not your traditional gangster movie, but it, it definitely deals delves into some really dark themes. Like this movie is as dark as it gets, uh, but it's just really well done. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, for my number two, uh, I went with Goodfellas. I, I love Goodfellas. I can't get enough of it. If I see it on TV, on a TBS, or even if it's like censored, I still have to watch it. Uh, <laughs> it. It just has so many great scenes. Joe Pesci is a maniac in it. Uh, that that character is fantastic. Uh, just just everybody in the movie, the entire cast is from like top to bottom is like perfection. Uh, everybody plays their roles accordingly. Uh, Ray Liotta's fantastic in the movie as well. I mean, not, can't take away anything from De Niro as well. Like yeah, that, yeah. The the starring cast is they just have so much direct synergy it's ridiculous yeah there was a there was two movies um that were in my top 10 and got pushed out of my top 10 and honestly both of them got pushed back to like 40 or 50 because i just realized i really love certain parts of this movie uh or these movies and there are certain parts that i just don't like at all um and one of them we'll talk about in a hot second but the but the other one is goodfellas and it's like there is so much to love about goodfellas de niro pacino and um, Ray Liotta are all at their A game. Uh, Scorsese is on his A game uh, for sure. This is even though it's not my favorite, I think this is his best, um, his best movie, uh, at least in terms of like accessibility and uh, like all that. Like maybe technically the Irishman might be his best, but certainly I'm not going to say it's his best. Uh, or maybe like technically Raging Bull is his best, but it's also kind of a boring movie um, to me. Um, but that's fair. But like it's just to me the point where like after the movie becomes not about trying to get into the gang life and trying to adjust to it after he starts to become sort of a top dog and then the movie just all of a sudden starts dealing with drugs and drug addiction and all that. It's just when movies start to just and like it's based off of this guy's actual life. It's it's it, it's based off a true story and they wanted to to tell that true story and all of its effects and drugs are very essential to this character's downfall. Um, but it's just whenever movies just just start to to get down a down this pathway, it's like no, I just I really loved the gang aspect of it, and I I want to see you know, that like uh, uh, you know if if there's drugs involved, cool, but like have them be like throughout or whatever. But it's just like as soon as as soon as you throw in the drugs and his side chick and De Niro getting locked up and they they work on the airport heist thing, like you know I just check out of the movie for 15, 20 minutes. So this used to be in my top 10, but got pushed down. So it's honorable mention for me. My first honorable mention, actually. Uh, yeah. Great pick. Great. Pick. Uh, which leads me to my number one and uh, it's looper. Um, so uh, not your, again, not your typical, you know, suit and tie and fedora, uh, all that. Cause we're dealing with future gangsters that you don't ever actually see. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's, that's an interesting one, but I, I love this movie. Um, this is my favorite. Uh, yeah, that's my favorite Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. Um, I mean, unless you count Knives Out because he has the tiniest cameo in it. <laughs> um, uh, I love I love Ryan Johnson. I think the screenplay is brilliant. Emily Blunt is for sure the standout of this movie. Um, the the creativity is uh, is just next level, and um, the time travel is kind of inconsistent. Uh, def- but and um, the, there is definitely a narrative arc that when they're doing the whole. But it, it definitely gets jumbled, um, and I think maybe could have been edited a little bit better. But uh, um, I I love this movie, and kind of has a similar message of uh, of the other two, the two main movies we talked about of violence begets violence. So show show that good can triumph. So I love Looper. Yeah, I've always seen it the the one time. I did have issues with the time travel aspect of it, but I thought uh, Jessica Gordon Levitt was really excellent in it. And this is back when. Um, 
Bruce Willis still cared about acting. <laughs> so he was actually pretty solid in it as well. And it was the first movie I ever saw Emily Blunt in. Um, and I thought she was really excellent. I was like, you know, she's going to make it. She's going to go places. And uh, look at what she th- did. <laughs> I think me too. I mean, little do we know she was already places. I think right. this was the first one I saw her in. And then not too long after that was Edge of Tomorrow. It's like, oh yeah, she's great. She's amazing. But yeah. I think it was just I had seen any movie she was in because I wasn't as well versed. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know my issues are with the time travel. I think it's the way that the film is editing because it just seems wonky. But. Well, maybe that's what jumbles up the time travel. It makes it not, makes it in- incoherent. It's just like yeah. some of the editing. But the performance well, they do. Good. I like the prosthetics too. I thought the prosthetics were pretty cool again. Yeah, and they, they definitely like change Joseph Gordon-Levitt to look like a realistic young Bruce Willis. Now, when they're showing the montage, there's a very drastic cut from a thin yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt to a Bruce Willis with hair plugs. <laughs> yeah, it was a little uh, weird. Yeah, so like you know, the transition montage you could still laugh at, but for the most part, like they doing minor CGI work and and practical prosthetics to Joseph Gordon Levitt to make him look is yeah. Um lot lot to be admired about Looper. So that's my number one. Yeah, uh I mean my number one is pretty transparent. I mean, if I had to choose one of the Godfathers, I'd probably choose two. Two is just so effective in, in what it does and it tells parallel stories extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they could have made Godfather 2 any better than it actually was. I can't even name a specific moment or time or editing that would have made it any better. Uh, I think the movie's perfect. Yeah. I, I just, you kind of love, I love to see kind of like the fall of Michael. Like Michael never wanted any of this and his dad didn't want any of this for him, but uh, he was the golden kid and he was at the right place at the right time. We all know how it ends up. But. Yeah. Yeah, this is, um, uh, these are honorable mentions for me as well. I'm just not quite as high on these movies as it seems like the film community at large is uh, like, these are definitely in the conversation for what might be the best movies of all time. And I just, I really admire them and I respect them. Uh, and you know, um, performances are, are terrific. Screenplay is electric and uh, maybe not electric. Uh, screenplay is, is terrific. And Coppola is either way hit or way miss. And he's way hit on at least the first two. Uh, I, I prefer two over one as well. Um, and yeah, that, Gosh, what is the most like stone cold ending to a movie you've ever seen? <laughs> yeah. Even stone cold like last thirty minutes. Like to see in, at the end of the first Godfather, we even see Michael kind of become a jaded character who now all of a sudden is gonna you know be a, a Don and not a good one. But this whole movie is about his fall, really. Um, he's actually and, or, like, too. He's too good of a. He's too good at his job. He's too good of a Don. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, he he literally well, becomes the devil as soon as he shuts that door, like even prior to that, like it's actually interesting. Cause like, it, you know, I was saying it's his fall, but it's not really his fault. It's his rise to power, but his fall in being a likable person, uh, because Godfather part three is his fall. So, yeah. Um, but we don't really talk about that one. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> when we're not talking about best ever anything. Um, no. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. And absolutely no faults with Godfather being, uh, being your number one pick. It's just, I think they're both probably a little bit too long. Um, definitely the first one. Um, and I think the first one is also a little bit too confusing uh, for me to follow. If I feel like it's a movie you have to watch four or five times over before you really understand what's going on. One thing that actually did help me is I played the Godfather game on PS2 recently, <laughs> which is a great experience, actually. Have you ever played it? Oh, uh, yeah. It's actually, uh, as far as like kind of open world 
Grand Theft Auto clones go, it's pretty high up there. Like, it's actually really well done, uh, with the exception of, like, not having, you know, the, the license to a lot of characters and, like, their likenesses. Uh, I think it's actually a really well um, created game. Uh, the first one, actually, I think got everybody except for um, Pacino. Pacino decided to do the Scarface game instead. But uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, Brando, that's Brando's last credited role. Yeah. Um, and he came back for it. Duvall, um, uh, like I think this the second one. I don't. I don't think does. I haven't played the second one yet. But it. Uh, I guess I really just meant Pacino. Like it, it felt kind yeah, of jarring to not have it does. the actual Michael Corleone in there. Yeah, it 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 definitely does. But uh, but it does a really interesting job and helps me kind of fill in the gaps and where the story is going and helps me be in the story. Um, yeah, they do some really excellent world building in that game. Yeah, you're and and you're absolutely right. Like this is. To me, I mean, I'll take Red Dead Redemption 2 over the Grand Theft Auto games. Um, I think that's but, fair. I would do that. I haven't played the second one, but I love the first one. Oh, the second one is miles better than the first one, which the first one is yeah, already great. But, but I'll take like GTA 4 is probably my favorite Grand Theft Auto. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take Red Dead Redemption 2 over it. And Red Dead Redemption 2 might be my favorite game of all time. Um, but yeah, for sure, if we're talking these open world crime games... Um, absolutely, the, the original Godfather is in the conversation. Anyway, I just just played that a couple months ago and uh, really, really enjoyed it. So, <laughs> uh, okay, so our honorable mentions. So the only ones I have listed that we haven't mentioned is um, uh, I feel I feel like there's two tiers. So there's honorable mentions that I haven't mentioned, and then there's things that like aren't in my top 100, but maybe I would have put on the list if they're. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and uh, and kick us off with yours, the ones that we aren't quite good enough, to, aren't quite in your top five that we haven't already talked about. I mean, some of these movies actually might even like like Pulp Fiction is pretty high for me, but I just don't consider it a, a mafia movie or like a, a gangster movie for some reason. I don't know why, because um, maybe because it's multifaceted and like the care, like even though like the main focus is like gangsters. Uh, yeah. So uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, I had City of God as well, uh, Scarface. And The Untouchables, uh, one of the very few movies of Kevin Costner that I actually enjoy. Uh, so. Yeah, we talked about The Untouchables uh, on the Goats episodes for this for the this podcast uh, a couple months ago. And it's a movie that I really loved the first time I saw it, and I just like it less every time I see it. Um, <laughs> it's a little corny at times, a little cheesy. Yeah, um, Scarface is a movie I only saw once, and I really didn't like it. <laughs> I have no desire to go back. But I'm pretty sure that's not an uncommon opinion. People either love or hate this movie, and uh, it's not uncommon for me to be like, I hated Scarface. I uh, think it's highly entertaining. Um, I had to watch it a bunch as a kid. Uh, it'd be thrown on all the time by my uncle. Um, mm. But I think it's fine. It's you know, it's kind of grew up watching it. So yeah. Uh, see, and I don't think I think I saw it for the first time like when I was in high school. After you know, I'd already seen a bunch of memes and the. I, I think it, maybe it was expectations not met but either way i i don't desire to go back to see it because i really don't think i'd like it maybe i wouldn't hate it but i wouldn't like it Uh, and pulp fiction you mentioned i i have that in my honorable mentions as well um i would count as a gangster movie this is the other movie i said that at one point was in my top 10 but the whole arc where butch gets captured or butch and um uh what's the michael clark duncan character or not michael clark duncan uh ving rames uh with a ving rames character and and uh, and Butch. Oh, Marcellus Wallace. Held. There you go, Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, Marcellus Wallace. When they get when they get captured and are put in the basement of uh, it is, it is of the a pawn very shop. Stark uh, contrast to the rest of the movie. 
Yeah, I just don't like that arc. Uh, I don't like that those couple scenes. Um, I, I kind of like where where it takes the story, and I kind of like um, some of the moments there, like when uh, when Bruce Willis breaks out, and then he's in the in the in the lobby, and he just like keeps on finding better weapons. Like he picks yeah. up like a long <laughs> like a like a weed whacker, and is like, wait, no, and he finds like a baseball bat, and then he grabs like a chainsaw, and it's just. Like that's a really a fun moment, <laughs> yo. Know, and like his moment, you know, the moment where he's just like, you know, like, yo, get out. You have forty eight hours. Don't ever come back to the, like, you know. I just I don't like it that part of the movie. So I love the rest of the movie. So it just kind of brings it down for me. Um, the yeah, other I two, think, I, I think they could have been handled in any number of ways, and they they chose, you know, chose like a very uh, just chose like the worst way possible to make it as vulgar as possible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, the whole, I mean, the whole Butch storyline is unnecessary to that movie, but really a lot of storylines are unnecessary to that movie. Um, <laughs> but, but I love them all except for Butch's. Uh, the other two that I have are straight out of Compton. This is my favorite biopic of all time. Um, I mean, if you don't count like Moneyball or whatever, uh, cause I think you could count Moneyball as a biopic, but, uh, um, I love straight out of Compton. This is my favorite, like musical biopic of all time. Um, and that might be kind of fast and loose with gangster, but I think there's enough having to deal with, you know, city of Compton and all that, um, and snatch. So, um, UK, UK gangs. So those are the ones that are also in my top hundred, the kind of other tier, the, the other two that I would mention that we haven't already talked about that aren't in my favorite movies of all time, but I really enjoy would be lawless. Um, the Jason Clark, Shia LaBeouf, um, Dane DeHaan, Guy Pierce, Western, um, kind of, I don't know, it's a gangster set in rural Kentucky in it's, the moonshine era. I, I guess you would call it a southern kind of, because it takes place yeah, in Kentucky, like, right? It's about bootlegging. It's, yeah, it's more of a gang gangster movie than it is a western, but it's set in a western setting. So yeah, um, I really like that movie, and uh, and of course, Gangs of New York. Yeah, I think it's really good. Those are the only, only other ones I would mention. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Um, I mean, you don't want to put the Mob Squad on there? That's a great movie. <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen it, so, uh, uh, and I was looking, I was looking at IMDb to see if there was any other, like, recommendations based off of, uh, when I, when I looked up Bronx Tale, and, uh, I haven't seen it, but, uh, Carlito's Way was, was there, I was like, oh, like, yeah, I'm sure somebody would put that in their top five. So. Yeah, I think I've seen it, like, twice, it is a really good movie, it's pretty excellent. Like, at least based off its reputation, like I said, I haven't seen it, solid rating on IMDb, all that, so, um, cool, well, we just got one more thing to do. Uh, we got to um, do the spinoff. So, uh, Joe, why don't you kick us off? What's that one thing in any area of pop culture that you're just really dying to tell people uh, to either check out or to stay away from? Oh, I'm trying to think of something I've seen recently. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're going to talk about it, but uh, I really enjoyed the Suicide Squad. I thought it was really excellent. It scratched the itch that I needed as far as having it as a comic book movie. Yeah. Um, and then yep. recently I've been watching an anime called uh, Banana Fish, which is pretty dramatic, pretty dark. Uh, has, it also has a kind of like, in, kind of delve into our themes of uh, kind of mafia, kind of gangster uh, type of films. Uh, mm-hmm. So check that out if you're if you're into anime and some kind of darker, deeper storytelling. Yeah. Cool. So Banana Fish. Uh, Crunchyroll? Prime? It's on, um, it's on Amazon Prime. So Prime has a there. good selection of anime. Like, I they don't just don't it. do a good job of, uh, they do a good job of hiding it really well, which is really terrible. Right. Well, but it's like anytime people talk about anime there like it seems like it's often available on prime it's like oh and if it's not then it's crunchyroll but they have a pretty yeah. good I, I don't you know i like i said i don't 
I don't watch any of it, but it's always like whenever somebody mentions a show, I'll see it on on Prime two days later. Because you know, same thing with like all of a sudden you got recommended ads for things that you thought about three days ago. <laughs> um, you know, because technology is weird. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna recommend a movie. Um, I watched Chef this week, uh, one that I've been wanting to watch for a while. Uh, directed and starring John Favreau, uh, I think written by as well. Um, John Favreau being the lead here, but we got. Uh, uh, I think it's John Leguizamo um, playing a secondary. Hope that's the right guy. Um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. having a small role. Small role. Uh, yes, John Leguizamo. Uh, Dustin Hoffman having a small role. Scarlett Johansson relatively small. Um, this is a movie. Sofia Vergara, Oliver Platt, uh, Amy Sedaris, Russell Peters in a small role. Um, this is a a movie that does two things really well. Uh, or three things really well. Um, it's a great father-son story. That's really the heart of what this movie is about, uh, is about this chef's relationship with his son and how they bond together over food. Um, but this is also a great food movie. I mean, you can tell they, they go into detail. Um, Favreau really did his research on what it means to be a chef and, and kind of how chefs operate and mindset and all that. Um, and as a aspiring chef myself, um, <laughs> just... Don't watch this movie when you're hungry. Um, and it's also a great road trip movie is the other thing it is. So um, it, it's a delightful movie. Um, it's It can be heartwarming. Um, it's it's not necessarily like super heartwarming and it's not necessarily like super anything, but it does everything really, really well. Um, it's it's a great mixed bag and it's just a little slice, slice life thing. So um, would absolutely recommend checking out Chef. Um, I watched it because I own it. My guess is it's on Netflix because they have Chef Show, but uh, I think it's on Netflix still. But, uh, I'd have to check. I'm, I, I've always heard good things about it. I just haven't um, haven't pulled the trigger on it. So yeah, as of now, it's on Netflix. So, but that could change at any moment. But I doubt it will because they have Chef Show. So, um, if you really if you like food, for sure, um, this is a movie. If you like to cook, for sure, this is a movie for you. If uh, if you just want a heartwarming father son road trip kind of movie. Um, this will satisfy that. So here we go. Um, yeah. Uh, so chef. Uh, so that's a wrap. Quick reminder: Hip Hop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media uh, or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Uh, and if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com, you want to get in contact with us, send us a question to explore down the B plot. We would love that. Uh, you can email us at writersroomsifpop.com. And you can also get in contact with me via Twitter at Schweitcastle or on Letterboxd. You can see all my movie opinions at Schweitcastle. Uh, and go ahead, please, if you're listening on iTunes, drop us a review. That would be really helpful. Uh, but uh, that's ways you connect with me and the show. Joe, where do you want to send people to congratulate you here in a couple days? <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, you, know, you can message me on, on Instagram at the Star Spangled uh, Adventure. Uh, I can talk everything from comic books, fitness, to action figures, uh, movies, anime. Yeah, I got a lot of interests, uh, so always down to talk to people sweet well make sure you go hit up joe on Insta- on instagram uh make sure you come back next month uh we're talking about ooh, i don't have the schedule pulled up uh <laughs> well how about next week then next week we'll t- i'm doing a tv catch up with foster um uh, so that'll be cool new writer um first time on the show um we'll be doing a tv catch up so that'll be fun and next month uh, we're t- we're doing a batman animated is it dark knight returns part one and two um uh, that sounds right to me I think that's what we we, uh, we, we had to do some shifting around. So uh, yes, the Dark Knight Returns Part One and Two we'll be talking about uh, next month for our um, comic book week. So 
Uh, make sure you come back for that. And uh, make sure you come back next week for the TV episode with me and Foster to catch up on all things TV. Uh, but um, uh, that'll do it for this show. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>